Good morning. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are wondering, what is this fool doing up here with no jacket? It's cold, right? Maybe some of you are thinking that. If you all know me, you know I sweat a lot. So, and I guarantee you I'm going to sweat again today. Believe it or not, I will sweat again. So, um, I'm sorry about the temperature. Um, the heater is not working. But one of the coolest things is that you can just get closer together, right? Um, maybe just do this. Just breathe a little bit. Just make sure your breath doesn't stink before you do that, right? Just, just make sure it's, it's okay. Um, but just breathe. Uh, hold each other's hands. You know, the Bible says to greet one another with a holy kiss. So, you know, this is a good time for us to get together a little closer as a church. So with that said, that's not going to prevent us from worshiping and exalting our Lord as we've been worshiping well, through songs, and now we're going to be doing it through the Word of God. Uh, we are in a series uh, titled the, uh, Spiritual Warfare, the Armor of Our Lord, and today I want us to observe this passage of Scripture. I want to read the entire context for us, which is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. 10 to 24. So with that said, can you go ahead and turn in your Bibles through the book of Ephesians and, 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 and turn to chapter 6 as we read God's word together. Uh, this is what he mentioned. Can you please stand? We stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. We'll stop in verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Join me as we pray together. Father, we are in desperate need of you to inform us and to lead us, God. God, as our bodies are cold, we want our hearts to be warm. And the only thing that can keep our hearts warm is your presence, O oh Lord. So we need you. Keep us warm. Keep our hearts warm and our spirits warm. Keep our armor on, O oh Lord. God, we pray. You teach us what we do not know. You make us what we are not. And you give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is Prayer and the Armor of God. 
prayer and the armor of God. A test was conducted to determine whether air superiority was a determining factor in winning a war. So the test evaluated every war from 1932 through 2003. And they found that air superiority significantly improved a country's probability to win the decisive battle as well as the overall war. Further, they found out that air superiority was a better predictor of winning a war than any other factors, such as uh, factors such as adoption of modern system in war, right? Factors such as uh, regime types or civil military relations and even general measure of military power. So air superiority is a determining factor in war. What is that for us in our spiritual life? It is prayer. You see, we can put on the armor of God all we want, but if we are not devoted to prayer, we're missing the most important factor, the air superiority, which is prayer. And Paul describes our air support here as God's prayer. God's calling us to advance in prayer. So God's soldiers, don't miss this, God's soldiers must advance in battle on their knees. God's soldiers must advance in the spiritual warfare on their knees. I love what C.S. Lewis stated. He mentions enemy-occupied territory, that is, what the world is. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. This is what we're called to do. So don't miss this. Our air coverage is the power of prayer. It's the power of prayer. Are you tapping into this coverage? Do you have this air superiority in this Christian life? It is, it is prayer. What I love about this is that Paul transitions from us putting on the battle and he, now he tells us what keeps the, the, the armor on. So he tells us about we need to put on the armor, and now he transitions and he says, this is what keeps the armor on. It is prayer. The Christian soldier fights on his knees, right? Edward Payson noted concerning prayer, he says, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, the third thing necessary to minister. Pray, therefore, my dear brother, pray, pray, pray. James Montgomery Boyce considered prayer as our secret resource in this spiritual warfare. James Montgomery Boyce noted, what makes prayer so important is that the weakest Christian can at any period of his life, at any moment of the day, and in any circumstance, cry out to God for help and instantly have the resources of the infinite sovereign God at his disposal. What an amazing thing. John Bunyan, the guy who fought so hard to abolish slavery, was a man of prayer. 
And when he turned to Ephesians chapter 6, he called Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 19 the all prayer. This is how he titles it, the all prayer. So he goes to Christians, he goes to the church, and he asks them, are you involved in the all prayer? All prayer. Prayer is a supreme weapon for us to use against the rulers, the cosmic powers. Prayer is the weapon. When Paul says, when Paul says uh, our weapons are not carnal, then he, he's telling us the weapon that we need above all is prayer. This is what Paul is doing here. Put on the armor, but what keeps the armor on is prayer. So think with me. When we think about the armor of the Lord, the belt of truth, we put it on, it's a girdle. It's a girdle that keeps everything on. But what keeps the girdle on? What keeps the belt of truth on? What keeps our Christian doctrines on? It's prayer. So yes, we believe in biblical doctrines, but man, we pray these things. We pray because prayer keeps it on. When the Apostle Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness and he talks about the righteousness of Christ and your righteousness and you need to abstain from sin, but what helps us abstain from sin is praying to God. When we are connected to God, when we're constantly seeking God and communing with God, he gives us a desire to abstain from sin. So what keeps this breastplate of righteousness on us is prayer. But what about the shoes of the gospel of peace when we go out to share the gospel with others? What's given us a tenacious desire to share the gospel? It is prayer. God, give me your heart. God, save my neighbor. And when we go through difficulties and we have no peace at all and we need the peace of God, we must listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Do not be anxious, but let your request be made known to God. It's prayer that allows us to put on the gospel of the shoes of peace. We think about faith, right? The shield of faith. Well, how can I believe in God in this difficult circumstances as I am battling? Prayer intensifies our faith in God. It causes us to rely upon God even more because I'm talking to God and God is talking to me. The prayer allows us to hold this shield of faith up where it covers my whole body. What about the helmet of salvation when Satan comes and tells me that I am nothing, that God does not love me, that I am not saved, that I go to my God and I pray to him. Have you not read the book of Psalms? Where he's praying to God, even he starts off with great out, but the more he prays, the more you see his faith intensifies. In other words, friends, when you feel that God is silent in your life, you are not called to be silent. You must speak even more. That's the power of prayer. The prayer assures us of this helmet of salvation, and when we are handling the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It is prayer that causes us or allows us to wield that sword even more. How many times have we preached and articulate truth 
And then we feel there's no power. You know why there's no power? Because we need prayer. Prayer gives power to the word. It does. Sabunian calls it the all prayer. And in verse 18, there are five aspects of the all prayer which are necessary to put on. Right? If we're going to put on this armor of God, do not forget prayer. You know, we, we, we can be all excited about this warfare and this beautiful armor. And, and we, we're thinking to ourselves, there is this, we are part of the infantry, like where we're going, we're foot soldiers, we're going and we're fighting. And we fail to understand that there is air superiority. And air superiority, he, they see all things up there. The Spirit sees all things. The Spirit sees where we're going before we even go. And we need to rely on the Spirit. And prayer allows us to rely on the Holy Spirit of God. So as, you, as you're thinking about the armor and you're like, ah, i got to put on my breastplate of righteousness, do not forget prayer. Don't forget prayer. So what are the five aspects of all prayer? Well, first is we must pray. Our prayers must be Spirit-led. This is what he says. Pray in the Spirit. Our prayers must be continual. Pray at all times. Our prayers must be varied. Pray all kinds of prayer. Our prayers must be persistent. We must persevere in our prayer. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Even when you feel that God is silent and God is distant from you, keep speaking. Keep praying. Keep believing. Now, prayers must be intercessory. Intercessory. We must pray for others as well. So, I know it's cold. I was, I was planning on doing all five points, but I'm going to do two points. So, you can thank me. Let's say thank you, Kevin. There you go. All right, great. I, I'm doing two points, um, and then we'll look at the three other points next week. So, this is part one, and we have part two next week. So with that said, friends, let's look at the first two points. Our prayers must be spirit-led, and then second, our prayers must be continual. So first, our prayers must be spirit-led. So when we think about spirit-led, and he says that we pray all the time in the spirit, for some of us, there is a sense of confusion here. Because, because we've heard our charismatic brothers and sisters, it says to us that we must pray in the Spirit. You're not praying in the Spirit. And when they say pray in the Spirit, they're thinking about praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. So we were like, okay, hold up. Is that really what Paul is saying here? This is not what Paul is alluding to here for several reasons. One, let's look at it based on just the belief of speaking in tongues, whether you believe it or not right? Whether you believe it or not, we know based on 1 Corinthians, it's a gift. It's a gift given to some, not all, right? Whether you believe it's a prayer language or whether you believe it's a physical language, you know based on 1 Corinthians and Scripture, it's a gift given to some. This is not a suggestion to Paul for some Christians to put on prayer and pray in the Spirit. 
Paul is not saying for those of you who have the gift of speaking in tongues, praying the Spirit here, and those of you who don't have the gift, don't pray in the Spirit here. That's not what he's doing. He is saying every single Christian must pray in the Spirit. So we know for a fact Paul is not talking about speaking in tongues here. This has nothing to do with speaking in tongues at all. This has everything to do in belonging in the Spirit, being a part of the Spirit, being driven by the Spirit. Second, and most importantly, the Bible helps us understand that what praying in the Spirit is. And the principal text of understanding this is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. And follow with me very carefully. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I love Romans chapter 8. It is dominated by the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. So the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says to us, the things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Christ Jesus. And then he begins Romans 8 by saying, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who walk by the Spirit and not those who walk by the law. And then he continues with this contrast with the work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Brothers, you are not debtors to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you will live. You will live. You will have life. Then he goes on by saying to us, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then he tells us what the Spirit does in the life of the believer. He groans and he intercedes for the believer. And he causes the believer to pray. He does. But Romans 8, he's not talking about speaking in tongues. He talks about the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer. The Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So we cry out, Abba, Father. What an amazing thing. So there are two things that we must understand here. Even when we are looking at Scripture, we see this, right? So what is, what is praying in the Holy Spirit? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Coming closer. Coming closer. Write this down. So when other people tell you what praying the Holy Spirit is, is, is acting this way, or, or there's this certain manner that you need to act, or you are supposed to pray in tongues, and you feel like, oh, I don't know that. I don't have the gift. This is what praying the Holy Spirit is, based on the Bible, right? Based on the Bible. Praying the Holy Spirit is being empowered and led by the Spirit. It's not this special prayer language that you can pray and then you live like the devil. No, praying in the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. But Jude 20, 21, this is what he says as well. But beloved, building yourself up in the 
most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God and waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And Jude, the imperative command here is to keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do this? By praying in the Holy Spirit, by building yourself up. And Jude is saying the same thing as Paul. Praying in the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. It's exactly what Paul mentioned in Romans 8. Don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. You're not debtors according to the flesh, but you are free in Christ. Put to death the deeds of your body by the Spirit. This is what Jude is saying. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 8. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. You want to know what the opposite of praying in the Spirit is? It's grieving the Spirit. That's the opposite. Both of them involves walking. Let me give you an example. We grieve the Spirit by walking in the flesh. We pray in the Holy Spirit by walking by and in the Spirit. By walking, we give our life to it. We yield to the Spirit. We are obedient to the work of the Spirit in our lives. This is a great picture for us. So I want, I want to help you understand this. When we see what Paul is saying about we must pray in the Spirit, there are two supernatural things that Paul is alluding to here. First, the Holy Spirit tells us what we ought to pray. This is a beautiful concept here. Because this is a problem for us, because oftentimes in our lives, we pray only when we have trouble, right? Only when we are in difficulties, we pray. And we find ourselves, even, even atheists, there are some atheists who will say to you they don't believe in God, that's why they're atheists, but whenever they get in trouble, they say, oh God, help me God. What must I do God? And we laugh at atheists for doing this, but we do exactly the same thing. If the only time we seek to have Godly, spirit-led prayers is only when we are in difficulties we don't understand the power of prayer. We don't. You know, I love this because I love what Oswald Sanders, a former director of Overseas Missionary Fellowship, formerly China Inland Mission, this is what he says by praying in the Holy Spirit. He says the very fact that God lays a burden on a burden of prayer on our hearts and keeps us praying as primer facie evidence that he purposes to grant the answer. When asked if he really believed that two men for whose salvation he had prayed for over 50 years would be converted, George Mueller replied, do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? Men were converted. Both men were converted. One shortly before and the other after Mueller's death. This is praying in the Spirit. God gives you what you ought to pray for. Sometimes 
many times, what we must do in our prayer life is be silent. God, God, I, I just I want the Spirit to inform me as to what to pray for and how to pray. God, I will not let go until you bless me with that. Inform my mind as to what to pray for. This is as a priority, right? He sees all things. He knows all things. Inform me as to what to pray for. And God, when you inform me, even when it's tough, even when I don't want to do it, I must submit to it. And I think the reason why we don't want to rely, one of the reasons why we don't want to rely on the Spirit of God to tell us what to pray for is because we are afraid that what he asks us to pray for, we might not want to do it. Well, he might want you to pray for your neighbor across the street that hates you. I don't want to do that, God. I want to pray in precatory prayers and destroy him, God. That's what I want you to do. Just kill him. Don't help him. This is what we must understand here. Secondly, the second supernatural thing that we must understand here is this. Praying in the Spirit provides the energy of the Holy Spirit for prayer. Have you ever prayed and you feel that there's no energy at all? You just want to fall asleep. And the Spirit of God it energizes us. When we're praying in the Spirit, He gives us the energy that we need. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to be able to pray that way. To yield into the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Friends, the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer energizes the tired, elevates the depressed to pray with power and conviction for God's work. Praying in the Spirit means that the Spirit helps us when we pray. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit prays on our behalf. We see this in Romans 8, verse 27. The Spirit makes God accessible. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. The Spirit gives us confidence when we pray. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The Spirit inspires and guides us when we pray. And he helps us communicate with God and also brings God's response to us. We see this in Jude 20. And Spirit-led and spirit directed and impacted prayers are important. The question is, are we praying spirit-led prayers? Well, Paul says, pray in the spirit. We are all commanded to do this. Notice with me the second point. Take a look at the second aspect, second aspect of all prayer. Our prayers must be continual. Now I'm thinking about this. What do you mean? Paul says, pray always. And I'm just thinking logically, and you're logical people as well. How can we even do that? Pray always, all the time? My posture must always be prayer. I must always be on my knees. If I'm driving, close my eyes and pray. That, that wouldn't be safe for me to do, God. Right? First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says it again. Pray without ceasing. We read in the New Testament. We notice about the early church believers, they pray continually, and we say to ourselves, man, I'm busy. There's no way I can do this. How can I do this? And oftentimes, we feel overwhelmed by this passage of Scripture, and also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we feel very overwhelmed, and we begin to dismiss what Paul is saying. We're saying, well, Paul, you were saying this in that time. There's no way praying always and 
praying without ceasing applies in my culture, we never seek to understand what Paul is saying. If that's you this morning, I pray that you fully understand what he's saying. Paul is not focused on your physical posture of prayer here, but rather the posture of your heart in prayer. Do you, do you get it? Your heart must always bow before God in prayer. So when, when Paul is saying this, he's not saying to us that, that our bodies and tongue must always be praying, but rather that our hearts must always be bowed before the Lord. We must always adore God, and we must turn to God. Secondly, secondly, when Paul says pray at all times, he's saying pray in all circumstances. In all circumstances. When do you usually pray? We usually pray whenever we get in difficult circumstances. Paul is saying, no, not just in difficult circumstances. Pray in all circumstances. What do you mean by this, Kevin? What do you mean by this? Let me give you some examples of that. We pray in all circumstances when we, find, when we find ourselves in difficult situations. That's one thing. We turn to God and we ask God to rescue. We pray when we wake up in the morning and we see our spouse next to us. And we're excited to see them. When we hug our children and we say bye to them. And they come home from school and we still see them safely. When we kiss them at night and we say we love you, we pray by thanking God. You see it. This is the posture of our hearts. We are constantly a people of prayer. Our hearts are constantly bowed before God. And when we look at every circumstance, we thank God. We worship God. We adore God. This is what Paul means here. We pray at all times because we have a heart of prayer bowed before our great and merciful God. You know, this is amazing because as I look at this very passage of Scripture, John MacArthur mentioned this. He said, there is no time when we do not need to pray and no time when God will not hear our prayers. He's absolutely right. It's true. Friends, you know what's more important about knowledge about God? It's prayer. Oh, look, Kevin, what do you mean by that? Knowledge about God is very important. We need to know about our sovereign God. This is doctrines. Doctrines are important. But if you just take doctrines and groan in doctrines without a proper perspective of prayer, you have knowledge without wisdom. Prayer adds wisdom to knowledge about God. It does. Prayer says, this is what I know about God, and I will act upon it. This is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Paul says knowledge puffs up, but wisdom applies knowledge. It applies what you know. And what prayer does, it causes us to apply this knowledge about God. So as you're learning about the things of God, as you're reading your Bible and you're reading systematic theology and you're reading doctrines, keep doing that. But don't do it without prayer. 
This is why you find people, man, they can quote Greek, they can quote Hebrew, they can quote Scripture, and then they can quote all kinds of doctrine, all of John MacArthur's sermons. R.C. Sproul, they can tell you what R.C. Sproul said, but then they're not living for Jesus. There's a huge gap between what they know and what they do. And you can see what's missing. Prayer is missing. Because prayer allows us to take what we know and apply it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great British preacher, love, love Martin Lloyd-Jones. And this is what he mentioned. He says, our ultimate position as Christian is tested by the character of our prayer life. Now, that's convicting. Huh. Ooh, how am I praying? How am I praying? He says, pray all times. We must have this continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience become a kind of prayer lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our heavenly Father. Pray at all times. When we are tempted, we pray. When we experience something good and beautiful, we pray. When we are surrounded by evil, and yes, we are. Just look around. Surrounded by evil, we pray. When we encounter trouble, we pray. When we meet someone who does not know Jesus, we pray. Our life becomes a continual ascending prayer to God. We're always communicating to this Father because of the importance of prayer. John Wesley, this is what he wrote. I love this. Don't miss this. Come in closer and get this. Get this. Concerning praying at all times, John Wesley said, his heart, which is a Christian, the spirit-led person, his heart is ever lifted to God at all times and in all places. In this, he is never hindered much less interrupted by any person or thing in retirement or company, in leisure or business or conversation. His heart is ever with the Lord. Whether he lie down or rise up, God is in all his thoughts. He walks with God continually, having the loving eye of his mind still fixed upon him and everywhere seeing him that is invisible. That's what it means to pray at all times. As we close, I want you to think of this great hymn by George Duffield. He titles this hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. <laughs> And George was actually thinking about Ephesians 6, the armor of the Lord with prayer. And notice what he mentions. Put on the gospel armor. HBs put on with prayer. HBs put on with prayer. For duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Each piece put on with prayer. He's absolutely. What great exposition here. When you're thinking about the armor of the Lord, right? The helmet, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the sword. Put it on with 